So we are live, Tokenomics episode two. Same crew is here. We got Ethan Levy, the man behind Levy. Levy, I want to say Levy. God damn it. it. Levy. <laughs> Ethan Levy. <laughs> it's a, Ethan Levy's uh, the man behind upcoming best, you can't say best selling, one of the best NFT <laughs> blockchain games in the world, right? Hopefully, yeah, that's the bar. And we got Anton, who's Anton Bachman from Play Ventures, who dishing out tokens to all the upstart blockchain companies in the world. Not all, uh, only the best ones. Uh, <laughs> so welcome back, guys. How's your uh, How's your New Year's? That was good. Lots of family time. gave gave my blog a, a fresh set of paint. That was kind of the the shout out to your blog Christmas break project, so that I could start writing more about crypto gaming. Yeah. And what's your blog called? FamousAspect.com, Crypto Gaming Explained. We'll see how long I keep this New Year's resolution up. Well, it's um, Ethan is going off the board with uh, with like <laughs> short posts on this craziness that is happening. I I don't remember who I was talking to today, but somebody actually mentioned this, and they said like Ethan is is fully on with the blockchain, and they were wondering if I am because because we did this po- little <laughs> podcast that some 6,000, 7,000 people listen to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, nice. And, and they were like, are you, are you also on the blockchain train? I was like, no, I'm still agnostic. <laughs> still agnostic. <laughs> and uh, and Anton, Anton caught a COVID, and we couldn't record last week. We were supposed to because you were still kind of recovering from it. How do you feel now? I feel better. I've been saving my yeah. So, um, yeah, well, you didn't want to get the vaccine, so this is what you got. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Double vaxxed, soon triple vaxxed. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. So enough of the COVID bullshit, uh, enough of all the other stuff except blockchain. So um, we're going to cover today some articles, as always, and then we're going to dive deep on crypto raiders. So that's the, uh, the main topic of today. Ethan, you want to kick us off with some of the articles from the past couple of weeks? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll uh, first I'll, I'll just highlight two posts on my blog real quick. I'm just I mean, there's just so much news happening in Discord and in Twitter, and I'm just trying to keep track of it and and make sense of it for myself and some other developers. So, you know, hopefully I keep it up. But um, you know, the first piece I wanted to highlight was uh, Splinterlands released the roadmap for 2022 for its SPS token. And uh, I think it revealed some important trends that anyone who's interested in blockchain game development should pay attention to. Um, Most importantly, from that, uh, I'll just highlight that uh, they talked about building a um, scholarship system into Splinterlands. I expect that's going to be a a feature of pretty much any successful blockchain game uh, in, in the future that you know the scholarship program in Axie was kind of a beautiful accident of history and i think a lot of developers are going to build it directly into their games just like the sps roadmap uh talked about doing the other thing i'll highlight is land expansion they're going to do a land expansion in splinterlands and you know people are going crazy for land there's there's you know uh ember sword did what 200 million dollars worth of uh land sale uh anton Right, so like I yeah, so some so somewhere along the lines of that, or it was it, that amount was pledged. Was pledged. Uh, it, was, it. it was pledged. Yeah, I, I think I think the the number around the actual. But um, but they they've done a, they've done a couple of those, so so there's definitely worth their land. Yeah, and so I think that uh, it, it it's interesting that there's so much 
uh, consumer interest around land when in a lot of cases we don't really know what land-based gameplay is going to be like. Um, but I expect that land is a feature that's going to be on a lot of people's product roadmaps uh, this year and, and, and next. Um, so check that out. The other one I wanted to highlight was um, I said uh, Crypto Hit Aurori has raised $100 million, but you'd never guess this from the gameplay video. So they released a gameplay video. It's one minute long. Uh, if you looked at it just in a vacuum, I, is that really loud in the background? No, it's, it's okay. You, you got some help cleaning up, so. Okay, sorry it, it about is, that. It's, it's the life of a podcaster now, so. <laughs> sorry about that. They were supposed to be done before this. But um, uh, Aurori's, uh, uh, the, the gameplay video, if you watched it, it basically looks like a really nice Switch game, like a really nice up-and-coming indie Switch game. Uh, if you watched it and you didn't know, you'd never guess that people have, are, that players, not VCs, but players have already given this company over a hundred million dollars to develop their game and i think this really highlights what's uh kind of amazing about crypto game development uh so check it out i i think there's a lot of people who you know read the headline and commented on linkedin but didn't actually read the meat of the article but uh aurori's got a got an early mover advantage i think a lot of people myself are included are hoping to catch up to aurori in 2022 so so what do you mean when when you say that you wouldn't believe it based on the gameplay video well it's just like you know, if you if you watch a gameplay trailer from Uncharted Four, mm -hmm. and then someone told you this game has a hundred million dollar budget, you'd go, "Oh, that makes sense." Mm -hmm. If you watched this one minute gameplay video of Rory, and someone told you this game had a hundred million dollar budget, you'd shit your pants. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't match up at all. It well, looks like a very nice indie Switch game. And but players this is the story with every blockchain yeah. game. If you would say like, "What's the valuation of Axie Infinity?" If somebody right. would tell, like, they put it on the graph and it was like bigger than Zynga yeah. or you know at that scale, like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Which is why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's what I want to highlight. Players are so excited about this game mm -hmm. that that they gave a hundred million dollars to this company in exchange for their tokens, um, and they've also bought PFPs. And it's just the start. So I, I wanted to highlight, I, I, part of what I wanted to do on this podcast series is highlight games other than Axie Infinity. It's mm -hmm. Axie, Axie, Axie a lot of times. Yeah, and yeah. They're, not, they're not the only one. Um, so, so I also want to say, do you want to highlight how little it takes to get 100 million? Well, Aurori has an early mover advantage. I don't mm -hmm. think you would, if you ran the exact same playbook today, I don't think you'd have the same outcome. Got it. Like Farmville 1 was super shitty looking game and playing game, but because yeah. it was one of the first ones, it was the largest by far. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the main thing is it shows the hunger that's out there um, from the current audience of blockchain gamers. So Ethan is saying the bar is low. <laughs> Aurori looks nice. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen other games that don't look as like it really does look like a good game. It just doesn't look like a, a game people are going to give $100 million to. Okay. So. Okay. Carry um, on. But they, I, I think they really had the timing uh, on their side here as well. I spoke to the yeah. guys sometime in June. Uh, and um, that was basically at the start of, the, of what was eventually coined the Solana summer with, with a lot of sort of run up around the, the Solana ecosystem over, uh, over this year. And they were, as a gaming project, they were probably one of the first ones and very yeah. well positioned there. They uh, saw they the future and acted on they, it. So is this game live? They could no. write. No, it's not live. Not playable. So 
So wait a minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> they launched a token. They launched a token, and people bought that token. They, the initial offering of the token, they gave over a hundred million dollars in in uh, USDC, a stable coin valued at one dollar each. Is it that they gave one hundred million, or is it like people bought the token, and because of resale and every and the scarcity, the value of the tokens increased? No, or? well, the the value of the token is actually down from its initial offering, but that in the initial offering, they gave the company that money. So they gave the company over $100 million for the initial offering of the token. What is the PFP collection? Uh, PFP, we'll be talking a lot about that. PFP stands for profile pick. So like uh, board, yeah, board Ape Yacht Club, uh, CryptoPunks. So like there are tons and tons of these procedurally generated avatar projects. And I'll talk about mm -hmm. one in the new hotness even. And so uh, before the token sale, they sold out, you know, 10,000 PFPs in three seconds. They sold, they had a bug, and we'll talk about bugs in a second too. Their bug cost them probably 80% uh, uh, of their sellout, right? They were supposed to charge five soul, which mm -hmm. would have been like $7 million, and they charged one soul. But so they sold out, people intended to spend about $500 each on these, and they sold out in three seconds. Okay. And, and they're uh, basically avatar NFTs with some future game utility that isn't 100% clear yet. Wow. So, yep. uh, okay. So there was no game and there was yep. just a coin and people spent $100 million on a coin. And yep. now I'm actually watching this game video and I'm like, all right. Like, I'm, I'm looking. It's not, it's, it's not bad, but it's not. It looks not, like you know, a good indie game, right? Yeah, it doesn't blow it's my hair. It's blown that it basically already has $100 million in revenue. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's why I wrote the article. So go check out the article on my blog, FamousAspect.com. Yeah, it's going to be in the link of the description below yeah. in this podcast. Yeah. Um, last news story, because you know, we just talked about a bug that cost them probably 4 to $6 million. Mm -hmm. uh, Polygon, who we'll talk about today in a couple of vectors, they recently paid out a $2.2 million bounty to white hat hacker Leon Spacewalker. Is that so, a real name? Leon Spacewalker? I, I, I assume that's a, 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 a fake name. Like hacker fake, name. Yeah. But um, there was a bug that I don't, I'm not technical enough to understand the details of. But imagine that they had billions of dollars of Matic, their token the the main token for their network in an account and there was a bug that was discovered that allowed people to drain money from the account like imagine if you could just take bank of america's money because you found a bug that's essentially what happened uh hackers some hacker or hackers stole over a million dollars worth of matic from the account that'll never be recovered leon spacewalker found this bug reported it and is getting paid out a 2.2 million dollar bounty by polygon so uh really b between this the next story we'll talk about the solana story and countless others i'm actually probably going to write about this soon just like you know this space is new these programming languages are new and bugs can be extremely expensive this bug could have crippled one of the biggest layer two solutions in blockchain right now it could have just bankrupted them I just want to ask, what is a polygon? 
<laughs> uh, Poly, sure. Polygon is a layer, is a company, a blockchain uh -huh. company. They provide what's called layer two uh, scaling solution to Ethereum. So Ethereum okay. is layer one. There are a bunch of services on top of it that essentially make it cheaper and easier to use uh, blockchain for your application. Is it like Forte? Um, you know, Forte has not released enough details about what they are to answer that question. Oh, interesting. They but have released enough information on how much they raised, though. Right. <laughs> there, aren't, there aren't public details yet on exactly what their solution provides, so I, okay. won't, I won't comment on Got it. Got it. Got it. You know, Solana is a competitor to Ethereum. Polygon is a layer on top of Ethereum exactly. that makes it cheaper and easier to use. So that's and the difference between Bitcoin layer one and layer is a competitor to Ethereum. Uh, essentially, but, essentially but, but kind of different. Bitcoin yes, isn't really built for applications as yep. far as I understand. Transaction it. times are too long, et cetera, et cetera. But, but kind of like in that coin, um, anyways, in that blockchain. Yeah, they have um, their own okay. version of kind of smart contract equivalents for Bitcoin yeah. as well. I need to keep asking these stupid questions, otherwise you guys are flying too high. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's the purpose of the podcast, right? Uh, Anton, we'll, we'll, we'll finish we... this in a couple hours yeah. from now. No. Anton, what were you looking at? Uh, the latest stuff. Uh, so, so first off, I want to highlight something that happened, happened last week. So, so Polygon, as Ethan, uh, as Ethan mentioned, so uh, the Layer 2 scaling solution that, that already has a bunch of games running on top. Uh, there was a game called uh, Flower Farm, uh, Sunflower Farmers that resulted in uh, the activity of that game resulted in network congestion for Polygon resulting in, in much higher fees that they usually see on the network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why, why it took so much uh, space and why, why it put so much strain on the, on the network was that they, the game had a lot of in-game actions that were recorded as, as transactions on the Polygon blockchain. So it almost, if there's a lot of activity, it almost becomes like an unintentional uh, uh, DDoS uh, on, on, on the network. The game itself is kind of a farming sim, so, so you're growing plants and harvesting them later in, in exchange for the project's own SFF token, uh, where the users use the token to, to buy other tools which can be used to acquire further resources, which can then be exchanged for NFTs. Uh, that represent objects like chicken coops and scarecrows, uh, etc. Um, and um, <clears throat> basically, then what this what this led to in practice was that if you would typically see transaction fees on Polygon being fractions of a cent, they went momentarily up to 50, 50 cents per transaction, which is obviously a massive massive increase. Yeah, in my in my crypto raiders log, it was one cent, two cent per Polygon transaction you know, when I was playing that game. Exactly. Uh, and then they also had some developers also so they had a lot of bots, bots coming into the game, uh, clogging the network, just sort of coming in a farming, farming the game for, for some extra yield. Then they found that found out some user, there was a malicious actor in the, uh, in, in the game who, who seemed to have found some kind of a vulnerability in the crack in the crafting mechanism. Uh, and uh, at the time that that user then controlled majority of the iron pickaxes in the game and the iron pickaxes is used for for resource gathering and it's currently the best in the game to use for for resource gathering um, 
the reason why I picked picked up this one, I think it was a, again a great reminder of of you know when building games in this space to what do you actually want to have happening on chain versus what should be happening off chain on 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 your own servers. So they had they had basically the whole the entire game state for each player being put on chain every twenty five minutes. Uh, so a massive amount of information that they wanted to process also through. Uh, uh, through, through Polygon, which then begs the question, that, that does it actually make sense? Because um, there was also an early version of, of Axie at the time, which had a lot of in-game actions happening on-chain. Uh, and that was when it was still running on Ethereum and made it really tricky to, to actually use that one. Now they've obviously streamlined a lot of the actions that happen on-chain, uh, and plus also with their Ronin sidechain solution. So they have a lot more, a lot more freedom around this. But... Um, <clears throat> Just a reminder to the folks out there on, on sort of thinking about what you actually should be running on chain and off chain. And it's likely going to be a spectrum that's where we're going to see a lot of different takes uh, in the coming years of what what the players actually want to be want to see uh, that runs on chain and what what really doesn't doesn't matter if it's happening off chain. Just to make sure that there are not a lot of these extra steps that then might lead to lead to network congestion. Yeah, I I feel like in in the phase we're at right now where a lot of users are early adopters there are people for whom everything happening on chain is a feature that draws them to a project as we move to more more and more mass market i don't i i don't think that more uh average players will care as much about what's on chain and what's off chain and you'll be able to um get by have a successful game by having a smart mix of what's of actually doing as little on chain as possible to produce as little fees as possible for the player. That's that's kind of my prediction. Exactly. I think we touched also in the last episode we touched quickly on, on Dark Forest as well, which is then a game that is completely completely run on chain where all the activities are happening. But that it obviously caters to a very niche group of users. And as same thing here as I mentioned Ethan, it's um as we go Towards more mass market, it should be feasible to 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 think that that's going to be of less importance going forward. Um, another good one that kind of caught my eye was was uh, it's it's a really good newsletter by by Rex Woodbury, uh, and um, his latest ones his latest one was um, titled "Most People Won't Know Web Three Exists." Now this is probably commonplace for a lot of people who've been in the industry for uh, for some time but um, I think this serves a really good reminder for people that are a bit newer to crypto uh, and especially when when tinkering with a lot of the problems and, and trying out products in crypto currently and and about the difficulty of for example using wallets uh, using bridges getting into staking uh, etc that um, and sort of being able to zoom out that that sort of we're not if Web 2 was kind of the front-end revolution, then Web 3 will be the back-end revolution. And a lot of the stuff we need to tinker with now, uh, the, aim, the aim should be that we're going to abstract that complexity away uh, over time. Uh, and um, obviously that happens in steps. we got to get better wallets out there in the market. Uh, people's first touch is usually using, using MetaMask uh, or some other equivalent. We're already not... We're already not wallet solutions with much better user experience. I think one of my favorites is um, is a wallet, it's an Ethereum wallet called Argent. Uh, that's built by this, uh, it's actually a former mobile game development team uh, that, that sort of 
they had the they were building learning uh, educational games company and uh, the founder Itamar Lesu is then uh, co-founded Argent uh, and um, they have basically abstracted away the idea of these services that has that have been uh, obviously a big part until now in a, so you're able to, to recover what you actually own but um, but they have this novel solution around guardians and, and kind of here uh, uh, where it escapes me now but um, but this kind of um, using of peers to, to recover your account if you're if, if for, for mm. some you lose access to your wallet so getting rid of those paper slips with 26 words that you need to remember to to be able to recover wallets because um, I think we can agree that future of money the future of ownership the future of gaming can't be can't be tied to having these paper slips yeah, yeah i just i just think about partners where one partner understands crypto and one doesn't right like what happens what happens if uh uh i i pass away i mean i have a very small amount of stuff in crypto but like i know some people have a majority of their wealth in crypto and that could be lost forever if if uh, if your partner or your children didn't know how to where your instructions were if they got damaged in a fire if the seed phrase was lost like there are so many ways that crypto holdings can disappear uh, in a way that's never recoverable and that's part of the appeal and that's part of the the um, challenge of it. All right, uh, I'm going to cover just a couple of pieces that I was uh, focusing on these couple that I that I picked up. So one was uh, the Square Enix's promise of decentralized games in 2022. So this was a public letter for from Yosuke Matsuda, who is the Square Enix president. And he revealed that the company's New Year resolution is to release decentralized games in 20 starting 2022. Of course, there was no details and there was no underlining strategy. But he was generally optimistic about blockchain gaming. I'm going to quote, uh, do a couple of quotes of this. So one is, from having fun to earning to contributing, a wide variety of motivations will inspire people to engage with games and connect with one another. It, it is blockchain-based tokens that will enable this. By designing viable token economics into our games, we will enable self-sustaining game growth. And the second quote was, I see 2021 not only as metaverse year one, but also as NFTs year one. Given that it was a year in which NFTs were met with a great deal of enthusiasm by rapidly expanding user base. However, we do observe examples here and there of overheated trading in NFTs-based digital goods with somewhat speculative overtones, regardless of the observed value of the content provided. This obviously is not ideal situation, but I expect to see eventual right-sizing in digital goods deals as they become more commonplace among the general public. Now, you know, Square Enix doesn't name any particular games that might get the blockchain or token treatment. Uh, in the same letter, Matsuda also talks about major investments into cloud gaming as well as AI. Um, and, you know, crypto, NFT, blockchain, these are buzzwords. But Square Enix has been doing a lot of world combining uh, for a while now. You know, the Final Fantasy plus Disney Kingdom, that's a one example. So they have dipped their toes in what we now call a metaverse. Uh, my take on his letter, um, I read it, uh, skimmed it. It was not not skimmed it. I actually read it. It wasn't that long. Uh, he's I quite it serious was a about very this. good letter. Yeah, he was. He yeah, exactly. It wasn't like um, you know some CEOs do these blog posts and mm -hmm. and they're like informative but very kind of like um, non-official. But this was a very you know official yeah. tone to it, even though it was um, 
direct communication with an official tone, uh, very seriously, uh, you know, about his intent. He's not hyping things up. Um, and I think he's not giving exact plans, probably because, you know, there's it leaves room for ongoing negotiations. I'm sure they're talking to the polygons and the fortes of the world, and, and that way you're, you understand that they are serious and they can go either way, so it's good that they don't lock anything. And also, it's good that you don't come up with, like, you know, Final Fantasy will have an NFT, because the people who, like, if you announce it too early, people will just right. go bananas, right? Like we saw with yeah. Stalker, we saw it with... Uh, with Tom Clancy, so yeah, I I don't think this this note doesn't mean that um like Final Fantasy 16 is gonna be on chain, right? Like Square Enix does a, I mean just think of how early they were into um, feature phone games, pre smartphone mm -hmm. games with Final Fantasy branding and other branding and making a lot of money in, yeah. in free to play. Like Square Square Enix is bigger than just their console releases and um. Final Fantasy 14. So there's, you know, there. This doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to ruin your hardcore game. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wanted to really to bring this forward because because of the backlash and and the fact that the company this big is moving to this direction, even with the president clearly pointing it out. Not like you know Zynga's hiring a blockchain chief or or other gaming companies kind of like opening up this corp dev division. This is this is coming straight from the top, where the uh, the president is, is is giving his opinion on what's going to happen, as well as saying that it's going to happen really soon. So it's a, it's a clear statement, and there's a, you know, the people by people I mean developers, and developers are very divided when it comes to blockchain games. I I, I hear I, I talk constantly to developers who are excited, like Mr. Levy, uh, and then I talk to developers who tell me that Levy is fucking crazy yeah. like this guy has gone bananas <laughs> and they do not buy your free-to-play argument at all like yeah. not at all like and by free-to-play argument is like you were there when when the market started moving towards free-to-play you're trying to say this makes sense people are like you know be quiet little boy yeah we got let, this <laughs> let, let me give you an so one one thing you didn't mention that he talks about in his letter is ugc and and mm -hmm. token economies powering ugc so mm -hmm. You know, right now, like Warcraft 3 is not um, a major game. Like it has a small, passionate community, but it used to be one of the biggest games in the world, and now it's not. And if memory serves correctly, Dota began as a Warcraft 3 mod, right? Yeah. And I think when he's talking about UGC economies, or UGC user-generated content and tokenomics, token economies rewarding creators, like there's an alternate world where um, games have mods and people who make popular mods are rewarded in the form of tokens that they can turn into real money, where Warcraft 3 is still one of the biggest live games in the world, where Dota stayed as a mod and those creators were incentivized to keep developing their mod instead of basically forming competitors to Blizzard um, because they wanted to monetize their thing that they had built that was great game design that people love. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's the the type of thing that I read in the letter when 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 he talks about um, UGC and tokenomics, mm -hmm. and you know I mean it's it's kind of what Roblox does, and Roblox takes a big cut, but they provide a lot of infrastructure and players and scale too. Like I think there's a lot of interesting things that could be 
could happen to basically bring back modding in a way that it hasn't been as common of a game feature since we've, you know, consoles have, have taken over as the primary platform for a lot of these big games. Mm. That's an interesting take. Um, also, talking about interesting takes, so Ethan, you wrote the uh, the newsletter piece on right. why uh, Oblivion horse armor wolf, is wolf the... Wolf pants are the new horse armor, right? Why, why wolf pants are the new... <laughs> horse armor right <laughs> so forbes had an article set okay. uh, which was called uh, it's all in the description below but okay. why gaming nfts are not oblivion horse armor 2.0 without any reference to ethan your post yeah <laughs> come on like did, did somebody at forbes subtweet my newsletter piece <laughs> yeah so no, anyway I'm, I'm not the only one making this comparison but uh i want to go through the rebuttal of your article in here and then you can do a rebuttal to a rebuttal yeah. So in this article, you know, uh, I'm not going to go through, through the, uh, the long, lengthy part. Like this was partly initiated by, the, by the, uh, Matsuda, Matsuda's um, piece, his blog post or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and this was, you know, the fans went kind of crazy against uh, Square Enix, kind of like, don't do it, you shouldn't do it. And this was sort of following that type of approach. Um, and the rebuttal towards this horse armor piece now, one thing is that you were talking about limited quantity items produced as NFTs allow players to feel special attachment to their gear. Mm -hmm. In this article, they'd say, in practice, this is tying power to the loot, and essentially it's called pay-to-win in free-to-play games. Uh, and free-to-play games have largely evolved from free-to-play mechanics, and actually most of the, uh, the top-grossing free-to-play games do not have uh, these um, pay-to-win mechanics. So, in a highly speculative NFT market, this is a problem. Uh, this problem is only exasperated, and more sales is driven through more powerful loot that can devalue previous ones. Ethan, what do you say? Well, um, I actually, I mean, I've worked on a number of games that have pay-to-win elements to it, and a lot of popular free-to-play games that make, you know, hundreds to millions of billions of dollars. If it's, it's Many times it's not as direct as give us money and you win, but there mm -hmm. are pay-to-win elements in these game economies. Um, and, and what I've spoken about, like, the reason I'm excited personally is someone who's done pay-to-win to the tunes of hundreds of millions in revenue for companies mm -hmm. I've contributed to. Um, I'm excited about NFTs allowing us to make non-pay-to-win items because um, you don't just want to sell the newest thing. You want your oldest, like you have to retain community for these uh, economies to, to, uh, to run, essentially. If people get mad because they spent $1,000 or $10,000 buying a sword and you just released a sword that was five times more powerful than it, they're going to stop playing your game and so like why as a developer i'm excited about nfts because i think it's going to force us not to use power creep uh, because players will expect us to retain the value of the things that they own and also um we as developers get a cut of that secondary market sale so we get uh we are directly incentivized to maintain the value of previous cards so um i think that games that lean very heavily into play to win are, are as blockchain games are probably not going to work in the long term or they're not going to work unless there's a place in the game ecosystem for players who aren't interested in the co competition 
Got it. Okay. I think, I, I think got it. What do you, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking if, if we look at freedom, if we look at free to play again, and, and let's say let's say I'm playing a, a build and battler, mm -hmm. and um, I've spent to have the level 12 town hall, which at the time is is kind of the best town hall to have. Obviously, in the next, as, as there's more more content added to the game, they're going to add a, a Town Hall 13. And again, if I want to play on the highest level, they're going to keep spending. So it, so my Town Hall level 4 doesn't necessarily retain a lot of value. Mm -hmm. uh, in this context uh, of NFTs, uh, and again, I, I think I'm again a bit mirroring to what SoRare is doing. But even though you wouldn't be playing with the best cards because the best cards are the most expensive ones. You have a small group of whales that play with the most expensive cards. But um, the cards from past seasons, uh, they're still sold on secondary marketplace because they're still usable. Uh, mm -hmm. and I, I think it's I think it's it, it, it's probably more about this also. I'm curious also to get get uh, some of your guys' thoughts on this. But um, I think you can have NFTs of, of, of sort of varying uh, value and, and how that sort of evolves also when the, when the game progresses when you when you let's say you introduce a the level five sword is the best in slot at a certain point at a certain point in time and you need to get that to progress to to that or it makes the progression a lot easier if you have it in place but let's say one year from now two years from now the best in slot is the level 15 sword but there's still a use for the level five sword because some player that's early on in the funnel needs to get to that point in the game as mm -hmm. So, so essentially, to summarize what you guys are saying, there is some play to win angle to it. If we look at a lot of the forex stuff, basically a lot of what's happening in midcore or midcore mobile free to play, which in itself obviously is a really So basically, what you're saying is that these items have resale value, and that's why it's different. Even though there will be powerful items introduced, it's not like they become obsolete. They are. They just become um, useful for other type of players. It probably depends again on what game you're mm -hmm. developing. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard to because we're still talking about swords and stuff like that. But there's plenty of plenty of games that don't have swords and are not, you know, the dungeon crawlers. Um, okay, let's let's move on to like quickly through these other points. Like he says. Um, um, limited quantity items produced as NFT, so this was Ethan's point, allow players to feel special attachment to their gear. Uh, and in the Forbes article, they say, in practice, this is tying power to the loot. This is essentially called, oh, wait a minute. That's what we just um, did. That was what we just did. I apologize for that. Uh, limited quantity NFTs are potentially great revenue generators for publishers. Kind of true. Uh, and yeah. and he, he alludes to this thread from a Bungie developer. I think he was a Bungie Q&A person. Uh, and in this, it talks about the process to make such an item likely a massive loss compared to more traditional microtransaction. So I actually went to a Twitter uh, and, and read through the, the whole thread that this person had. And the way he describes is like there's so much stuff that is put into, into making. Like let's say you want to make an NFT armor. Then he talks about the um, network engineers, IT ops, backend, tech support. Then integration that to the platform, account investments, unlocking flags, wallets, ownerships, uh, and kind of goes through like what it costs to make those items, and then what it would cost to sell those items once they've been minted, and if they're sold by twenty to forty of your currency, in the end you will not be making as much as you would be spending to make those items. Now, um, Anthony, Ethan, how? Yeah, I, sort of my, my quick take here, and simply put, mm -hmm. is I think. 
I read the I read the thread as well. I think I yeah. think it looks it it looks at the topic from a very narrow lens, assuming that all NFTs in the world follow this supply schedule of ten thousand unique NFTs, and you somehow have to make the economics of the project make sense uh, from that perspective. Whereas, I mean, the supply schedule could be that a mob drops the NFT, and then you have hundreds of thousands of those being able to be dropped. I, I, I think it, it was a very, I think there's there are a lot of good points there, but, but, but he's looking at it from a very narrow lens, which kind of undermines a bit the whole thread. Yeah, I, I, sir, I, I was just scanning the, the article, right? He's going through all these points and then rebutting them, saying that they're not true or that, you know, the point of the article is kind of like, um, none of these things are good for players or publishers and therefore blockchain games isn't going to work, right? That's why it's not Horse Armor 2.0. He's saying this is not the harbinger of a new business model that's going to overtake the games industry. Um, I disagree. I mean, yeah. I, I just disagree. Um, I think it's exactly that. I think it, it, we are at the moment where a new business model has revealed itself. And, um, and I think that there is, I, I think that people who are um, kind of fervently against it, I understand and I empathize with the reasons they are, but I don't think they're seeing the ways that this can make gaming better for players. Mm -hmm. which is ultimately why I um, and, believe in it. And also, and also when he's talking about how much money it, or how much resources it takes to mint items and sell them, yeah. uh, there's no talk about all the resale, the cut that, the, that the, uh, the developer can take from the resales of the items that will be uh, the long tail of the item. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, player wants, wants to play to earn and have their investment rewarded through valuable NFTs or tokens. Um, and that's the, uh, the statement. And yeah. the rebuttal there was the games that are not for fun are not really games, and games should be made primarily for fun, not for, for work. Um, talks about, in some of these games, probably insinuating towards Axie Infinity, that large percentage of players are, in fact, low-wage workers, and that's why retention is so good, because they are coming to work. Um, and <laughs> saying that in real life, you're running uh, a labor camp uh, where actual people grind for you. And, of course, this happens in some of the Forex games, but in, or in mid-core games, but in a little bit of a different way, because you all work towards a common goal as a guild, and there's usually a fear of being dropped out from this community, uh, and that's, you know, or Everdale is a good example of that. So you grind because you're afraid that they will ostracize you. Um, and in this in this article in this rebuttal, he talks about like how do workers behave? Features don't drive them; they are only there to collect basically their salary. So trying to develop this game or these games is very difficult because they don't behave like normal players. They're not there to enjoy fun features; they're there just to work. So, um, Ethan Anthem. I this this criticism I think is valid. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that um, a complicated or poorly designed blockchain game can ruin the fun. And, you know, my goal as a designer mm -hmm. is to make the games I make fun for everyone who plays them. Um, I mean, just an example, I started looking at Feet and Arena last night and I'm not. And and I started I tried. I was like, oh, 
I mean, it's it's a fun game, by the way. Like moment to moment, it's a good MOBA battle royale top down shooter. I liked it. It's not it's not my type of thing. Like I wouldn't naturally stick with it. There's a part. There's like math I started to do. I'm like, if I bought one of these characters for a thousand dollars, would I ever make my money back? And I'm guessing not. I haven't broken out the spreadsheet yet. Mm-hmm. And all this and like, how many hours of play would it take me? And is that does that take the fun out? And I, I mean, I might write about it in the future. Like, I might do it just to see whether it's a good return or not because I my instinct is it's not. But it did start to change the nature of the game for me. And and on one hand, um, I would never spend a thousand dollars for pleasure on an individual character with limited use inside of a MOBA shooter. That's not me. Um, I have plenty of games I want to play that I already own that don't cost a thousand dollars that Epic gives me every week for free. Um, and like trying to do the cost benefit of analysis of is it worth my time to play this game? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, if you're mm. a player who was going to play this game or one of its competitors every day for ten year, for two years or ten years, then maybe it does make sense for you to buy one of these um, most expensive items in the game, and it enhances the amount of fun you're having. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it does. I think it's totally valid that, that um, especially the high price tags and different game mechanics that uh, change your relationship to the game. And that's not always a good thing. That can be a bad mm. thing as well. And uh, three more points that the uh, the article had is NFTs would allow items to be used across multiple games through consistent player ownership. That's that's the, uh, the statement that is being made quite often. And I feel that way as well, that this is a pretty silly argument because it tends to come from people who don't know how games are made and like how can you use, I'm just gonna use like existing game examples, like you're playing I don't know, Battlefield, like how can you use that same character, same avatar when you're playing Fortnite? Like these are totally different ecosystems and it's just like, it doesn't work that way. Or, or Ethan, am I wrong? I, I, well, I'm, I, not not at all. And I was going to ask Anton if um, this is a feature of pitches you're seeing for blockchain games. Like what is what is your reaction to the idea of, who's, of cross-game who's, items? Yeah, I, I think, I think, it's, I think it's more common from teams yeah. that don't have game development expert, mm-hmm. uh, experience. Which, yeah, they're, they're actually which, companies which, who are... Yeah, which kind of speaks on that. Um, like, I, I think we can agree that it's it's more... I, I think it's I think it's a bit of a meme also at this mm-hmm. point uh, when it comes to the space. But um, yeah. there are some really rudimentary examples like Sandbox has... Because, I mean, it's a matter of, you know, who who, who does the asset uh, for the other game and who's, 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 who's going who's gonna to design that. So, so what Sandbox has been doing is they've done... They have done the legwork that you can bring your crypto punk there as a as a kind of a voxel asset uh, in 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 the sandbox. But obviously, it's very niche. And each if if you do the asset, if you do the 3D asset in your in your game for some other asset, and it has like ten thousand owners, similar to any kind of profile picture uh, project, you're doing a lot of work for 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 a small amount of for small amount of players. Yeah. I think it's if, if it if it. If it gets any foothold in the near future, I think it's more of a user acquisition play, yeah. much than anything else. Let's say that you try to target people who play some other game by telling them that hey, you can bring that specific asset to our game because yeah. we we have done the integration for one specific asset, which is easier. Yeah, yeah. But then obviously you want to upsell your own assets. 
to that new, new players. So it's like a cross-platform yeah. strategy or, or that kind of stuff. Yeah. For instance, well, if, if, yeah, if I wanted to tap into the Bay Area Yacht Club and Mutant Ape Club community for a game I was doing, let's say it's a hero-based battle game, I would need, as a designer, to write and balance some function to take the traits of their NFTs and interpret that into my stat system. I would need to figure out how, what and how artists are, are getting the asset into the game. Like, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a, a thumbnail of an ape. Am I going to have an art team render, rig, animate, and effect um, these 10,000 characters in the hope that these people show up? Am I going to say, oh, for owning this ape, you get this other character? Yeah, like, it's it's, it's really it's 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 very very complicated to support someone else's items in your game, and I've I can think of a couple creative ways that it can and probably will be done, but I don't think you're gonna buy one pair of virtual sneakers that you can wear in every metaverse. Yeah, um, and that's not it's sustainable. Just a really big challenge. Yeah, and final two NFTs allow players to feel secure about actually owning their digital items. We know that these place, you know, these wallets are being hacked, so I don't know how how secure they are. So this is probably not the best one. And NFTs give players intrinsic value in their collection. Uh, the writer says effectively no different than the way things are now. Have auction houses where you can buy and sell items for in-game real-world money. Real-world money auction houses have in the past decimated game economies and player motivation so badly that they had to be removed, as an example, Diablo 3. But, but on the flip side, in, in the Ultimate Team series, it's a major motivator, and it no. makes a lot of revenue, and it makes people happy. Like, So it's, it's how you, know, you execute on it. Yeah, there, there are, yeah. and who your audience is. Yeah, I, I also agree that if something didn't work in one game, in one specific genre, by one specific non-free-to-play developer it doesn't mean that that is never going to work anywhere yeah. so that's it those are news we took our time Anthony you want to add something to that no just just quickly it's 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 frequently the example that is being brought up uh, oh the uh, Diablo 3 yeah but but, uh -huh. uh, but naturally that that's an audience that's that's um uh, you tried or uh, Blizzard have tried to bring you know the mobile version of Diablo, uh, different things, and and it's uh, it's a it's a it's a tough crowd. Uh, I think it's it's clear what they want uh, in terms of what what kind of product they want to see, and and, uh, and just because it doesn't work for the Diablo audience, it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that it doesn't work for anyone. And, else. and it may even work for the Diablo audience in games they play that aren't called Diablo. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Let's let's jump into the uh, yeah. the meat the meat the, the meat. crypto raiders. Talk to me about this crazy game, how much it's made already, and what are they minting right now? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, all right, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to dive into this Crypto Raiders explainer. Um, first, a, a disclaimer, and you're probably going to hear this or things like this a lot on this podcast. Uh, we are not financial advisors. Nothing we say is financial advice. I'm just documenting my journey as a player and explaining it to all you. I own, because I've played this game, because I investigated it, I own the NFT, I own their tokens, and I encourage you to speak to a financial advisor before any investment decisions you make. So their disclaimer out of the way. This is just a documentation of a journey. This is not advice. So here's here's what happened. When we started talking about this podcast, Anton suggested to me, he said, hey, I met these 
guys who do this game, Crypto Raiders, right? Did you meet them at a conference or something? Yeah. You met them in a conference. Oh, you met them and you're like, we should play this game and talk about it. Um, and I said, sure. So it's a, it's a dungeon crawling RPG. It's marketed uh, on their website as a permadeath roguelike. And I'll get to that in a bit. And it's played on Polygon, which, as we noted before, that's a, a layer two Ethereum solution. So there's the Ethereum network. Polygon exists on top of it to make transactions faster and cheaper, more efficient, essentially, you know, in a nutshell. And, and this is a game built um, on, on Polygon. So you've got um, to play Crypto Raiders, you need at least one Raider. They're sold on OpenSea. Um, and that's the secondary sale. Um, I'm not sure, uh, Anton, do you know how they're minted or how they were minted initially or how new ones are, are added? Yeah. So, um, so, um, we had, uh, we did some digging, some digging at play and, and, um, courtesy of notes from, from a resident, re resident intern called the play turn. I follow uh, the play turn on Twitter. Awesome. Good. Awesome. Good. And I, I recommend every listener here also to, 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 to give a follow to, to our resident play turn. But um, he dug up some some information around it. I also had I also had a chat with, uh, with 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 some former members of the Crypto Raiders team, as well about it. And 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 what happens is that they have these sort of recruitment events, which is basically just another word for 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 a minting event, uh, where where this um, NPC called Drunken Fairy uh, opens <laughs> her doors, <laughs> uh, and um, gives you the opportunity to 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 recruit. Uh, new raiders uh, that, are, that you can then use using the game and and the next the next recruitment event will actually be i don't think the podcast will be out out by then but right. but um the 12th of january right uh, and the possibility to, to recruit new ones i i think i it's it read to me on discord like you have to own a raider to recruit a new raider and to recruit a, your Raiders have Gen Zero, Gen One, Gen Two, Gen Three. Mine's a Gen Three. The further into the generation it is, the more expensive it is for you to recruit, and you recruit with Orum, which is one of their tokens. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, just I, I, to... I think my understanding, I think you're, you're going to stake, and then there's a chance that you, you're able to to mint yourself a, a Raider of different of of, of varying rarity. Got it. Okay. So um, on OpenSea, uh, when I looked at it this morning, so far, Crypto Raiders has traded 1.2k ETH on OpenSea. That's about $4 million in secondary transactions. Um, we don't know, uh, either we didn't know, don't know, or I couldn't find what the tax on it is. Let's just assume it's 5%. So they've made something in the neighborhood of $200,000 of taxes on their secondary trades. I don't know how much revenue they've done on their primary minting, but it's probably a couple million in ETH or Aurum. Um, according to OpenSea, there are 2.8 uh, thousand individual owners of the NFTs. There were 15.7 thousand members on Discord, 17,000 followers on Twitter. Um, it feels like it's a pretty small team, judging from what I see on Discord. So I think relative to the size of the team, they're doing pretty well. Um, so here's what I did. And, and, and Mishkai, I expect a number of these things to require clarifications as, as I go along. But these are the actions I took um, in order to play Crypto Raiders, right? 
I purchased a Crypto Raider NFT on OpenSea. I named him Old Man Crypto. Mm -hmm. um, I acquired their two tokens on the Polygon network. One token's Raider, one token's Aurum. They actually introduced a third token, Grimweed, since I wrote this down. Um, to get these tokens, first I had to acquire Ether. Or no, first I had to acquire Matic. I acquired Matic on layer one on, on Ethereum. I had to bridge my Matic to Polygon and then swap my Matic for Raider and swap it for Aurum. Um, each of these things was kind of complicated to figure out and incurred fees along the way. Fees were pretty high on the Ethereum network. Once I got onto the Matic network, it was, it was pretty cheap. Um, of the two tokens, Raider, as far as I can tell, is just a staking token. It's currently priced at $7, uh, $7.90 USD. This is up massively from when I started playing, when I got it for about $2.80, and that was a couple weeks ago. Um, it's It was up 400% uh, the other day, and now it's down to only 280% gain. Gain, But uh, good, good suggestion on this game, Anton. So just when the podcast is over, tell me which game you want me to research next, and I'll maybe put more than $100, $200 into it or whatever. Um, uh, the, the second token, Aurum, is a utility token. You use it to purchase dungeon keys. So it's just like if you think about a Facebook or free-to-play game, it's just like using a soft currency to buy energy. Uh, current price is up uh, to 4.3 cents. This is, again, double what it was a couple weeks ago when I started. So I acquired these tokens by swapping Matic, the Polygon token, for Raider. I swapped Matic for Aurum. And then I did two things, I, or three things. I staked some of my Raider, so that means I committed for six months to not use it. I'm lending it to a, a, a liquidity pool, and they're giving me, and I don't trade it for that six months, and they're rewarding me with a token Aurum as a, as a reward. I get about one a day, it looks like. And then on SushiSwap, I used... Uh, a pair of Matic and Raider uh, to provide liquidity that allows people to trade Raider for Matic and Matic for Raider on SushiSwap. And for that, I'm getting a reward as well. So I have different tokens locked up to help out the ecosystem. Um, and by doing so, I'm getting rewarded with additional tokens. Um, and then I spent about what turned into about $70 of USD that I spent on Aurum to buy dungeon keys to get extra energy to level my character up. So what, what's your approximation? How long did this the whole process take? Um, I did. So I did. I did this very carefully because this was my first time doing pretty much all of this. Um, so this was I would spend one to two hours a night for about a week um, before I felt comfortable doing all this. Um, or like first was just researching and like making sure I was doing everything right, deciding how much I wanted to spend at every point you incur fees and you're like, do I want to spend $60 in a fee on this right now? Right. Uh, I, when I get further in, I'll, I'll talk about how much fees there was. Sometimes you do something and then you wait 15 minutes for the transaction to complete. And then that's only one part of a two-part transaction. And you're like, what is happening? Like, at every point in this journey, I felt kind of scared. And, like, I was doing something exciting, but, like, I was about to just, you know, throw an entire PlayStation 5's worth of money 
out the window to play this game. So, so this is like, like first of all, if people haven't seen Crypto Raiders, yeah, it looks like something you played about twenty five years ago. Yep, yep. It's a it's, a, it's a Nintendo eight bit. Yeah, that's that's the art style, and it's a I would say it's like a do mission style dungeon crawler. It's like I mean honestly, the the game client, um, I could spend about four hours in Game Maker Studio recreating it. It's yeah. not a very here's here's what happens when your character goes on a raid. So you can go on on five raids per week for free with each character, and then after that you have to buy dungeon keys. So um, I press a I, I go to the list of missions. I press a button to launch the raid the dungeon. It opens a new browser window, and I watch my character Old Man Crypto. He walks through one environment. And there's like two or three sentences of flavor text. It's a music playing. Then he walks through another environment and I reach a bad guy. And then the battle is literally, it's like a, it's not even a, a Dragon Quest on the NES because it looks like Dragon Quest or Fantasy Star or Final Fantasy. And all you can do is press the attack button or flee it's the insane. battle. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. It's in, like, and, and basically at every step, it's it's almost like playing Texas Hold'em in a way that you have to just put in a couple of more chips to continue playing or get the fuck out. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind <laughs> of. And I mean this, at this point, like I'm, I'm really, I'm so now like I spent a bunch of money to level my character up from level two to seven. Now I play once a week for free. They're releasing new features. They released, mm -hmm. you know, or at least teasing them about once a week like they've released mounts they just released this questing feature um i talked before about how um uh lost my train of thought um it's yeah i don't know it yeah and, and they're they're doing the whole um they're doing the it's, whole port. it's like kickstarter on steroids is, is sorry yeah. that was my point like it feels like being part of a super early access game and actually being both a player and an investor hmm. um but there's there's already almost if 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 you kind of participate in the whole experience with the staking and everything there's already quite a lot um, just for, obviously from just a pure gameplay perspective there's there's not a lot in place and all yeah I, I same reaction when playing that i had the same thing with the attacks as well that even though even though i'm my character is maxed on intellect uh, sort of in the intellect equivalent and it's a it's a caster type uh it's still just an attack and something that it feels more like a melee thing but nothing basically happens uh, yeah this yeah. game it like the the game part of it is so early and, and i'll get to my list of feature improvements that i'll rarely paint a picture of how early it is but um it wouldn't even we wouldn't even call it a prototype yet at a free-to-play studio right like it's not it's not depth deep enough for that but this is already a um there are two things one is it's already generating significant revenues on what's probably a pretty small team but more importantly and this is a, a, a feature or a, a a point i think we'll hit on a lot the the game of these crypto games is much larger than the game software right what we normally think of as the game is a small part of the overall puzzle right the game here is like Right now, it's it's a, a, a very early dungeon crawler, and now there's kind of a passive questing system as well. But Crypto Raiders isn't just the game software. 
it's the staking and the liquidity pools. It's OpenSea. It's Discord. It's the loot, the lore contests on Discord, suggesting things to the game team, being excited. Have like it's the game in a crypto game is the whole ecosystem, and mm-hmm. being part of the journey. And I mean, I almost anyone I talk to who who makes games professionally like me in their childhood they're like i love video games i want to make video games and that's kind of what they dedicated a large portion of their life to and i think that for the players in in these crypto games it's letting them get as close as possible to the game development process um and i think that along with the financial rewards so it's like it's letting players be amateur game developers and amateur investors and be a part of the process and it's exciting. Like, the, there are emotions I'm recognizing in myself as I get my free dungeons, as I, like, check the price of Raider, and I'm like, oh, man, Raider's up 300%. Like, I'm really glad I'm playing this game. It's it's a really interesting emotional experience, and if all you're doing is looking at the game software, you're kind of missing um, the bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. I think the point about the controls is, is, is really interesting. There's some there's good... Twitter thread by uh, by John Lai from Andreessen uh, from I think it was posted in October yeah. or something. I know the one you're talking he, about. Exactly where he basically describes the, the different roles that, that the players. Okay, I, I I know we discussed we're not going to use Axie too much. As an example. <laughs> but but, uh, but, but in, in in that in that thread he used you know talking about there you know you have players you have managers you have scouts you have breeders. Um, your, your, your coaches, etc., and, and they, they kind of there's an ecosystem of other users also around sort of the core players, uh, players themselves, uh, and, um, uh, and and let's I mean another example would be imagine if um, if I were playing World of Warcraft, obviously as I, I a core user, I try to sort of experience sort of indulge myself in the whole whole experience playing PvP and PvE, but there's someone that only likes to game the auction house. And basically act as a play with the finances of that game, yeah. and kind of bringing those those users also, and potentially expanding your player base outside of the like pure play players, but bringing a bunch of other contributors to the ecosystem as well. It's something yeah. I think is uh, is worth exploring. For these I, games. I I think these games have a lot of, for better or worse, term emergent gameplay. But I think that emergent gameplay has kind of a negative stink on it because it's financial, right? Because people are essentially, it's like playing a game of being a VC, but you're doing it with your real money and you can lose it. And I know that's not, um, you know, there are people who are perfectly comfortable selling a $400 action figure. Mm-hmm. to their game of their favorite character their gamer like people love collectibles and and people game developers support that because the collectible doesn't have any intention of necessarily of being something that you make money from and i think it's that that like association with multi-level marketing tactics or anything that really puts a, a negative spin mm-hmm. on it yeah um, and I, I pr- probably for many users it might bring some additional stress to your yeah. Because if you invest in something that you know that doesn't have a return, as you mentioned, you have a very different connection to it. But if yeah. you would pay for the same item, the same price, but it's kind of a, it's potentially a very liquid asset that you own, and it might appreciate in value. It, 
it it it, it brings it it brings another kind of stress probably yeah. to the management of that asset. Yeah. So so what would be even like kind of like I wanted to kind of go to your I know you have a lot of key takeaways from yeah. from crypto raiders. Like I would like to go into those because is that a good example for a young upstart company, you know, people are listening to this podcast, like should they look into how crypto raiders have been growing because they have been very community first. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bar on the actual game has been extremely low since the beginning and they're only now adding and how they're adding these features and how they're trying to make it more accessible. Like what were, what were your sort of a key learnings from that game? Yeah, I, I have a, a lot of key learning. So one, just as a as a player and in terms of ecosystem and opportunities in the ecosystem, I think one of the biggest opportunities, whether you're making games or whether you're making service platform services, is to reduce the friction and fear that I talked about, right? Like, mm -hmm. so just to, like, I spent $600 to play Crypto Raiders and I spent that much because I wanted to experience every part that it had to offer because this is our first deep dive, right? Next game we look at, I might not do the staking or the liquidity. Yeah, go light. But, but I spent $600, 38% of that was on the NFT, 37% was acquiring tokens, and 25%, did I do my math right? 25% is in fees, that's that's about right. Okay, something something like that. So at least a quarter of the money I spent is just gone, is just gas fees, right? And like paying all those fees hurt and doing those actions was confusing. And it's something that limits, you know, if I was on, if I was part of Polygon, I would think, how do I make it much easier for gamers to play games on the Polygon network? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm not technical enough yet to understand why can't I just buy Matic on the Polygon network? Why did I have to do $60 worth of bridging to get Matic from one wallet to another wallet and bridge it to another like it's very confusing so there's a lot of friction that we as an industry need to eliminate second as, 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 a, a, as, as a quick pro tip here if if, if, if anyone of the listeners gonna try out and, and and sort of worried about some of the bridging fees i also think ethan earlier about the the umbria network which, mm. uh, which should at least be able to provide cheaper fees not again i'm putting up the same disclaimers as yeah. ethan put uh, put previously, but um, but that's also that, that's also actually a point also that, that we discussed earlier was that yeah. um, there's a lot of uh, there are so many unknown unknowns, uh, yeah, uh, there's known unknowns uh, for people uh, when when using this stuff for the first time, and, and I, I think it's not it it shouldn't be necessary that we all have to do kind of the same same couple of mistakes in the beginning uh, before we're getting a lot smarter about it, and also just thinking trying to think a couple of steps ahead on on sort of how how this stuff becomes more mainstream friendly. Uh, probably there's going to be also discussion about, about the game developers, for example, uh, covering the gas fees or at least the initial gas fees for some of their users before they're properly onboarded and everything just to, and, to abstract. Uh, all, and by all gas fees, things. you mean like transaction fees? Yeah, ex 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so go ahead, Ethan. Okay. Another takeaway as a, as a game developer, is and especially if you're like why like uh, an important takeaway is people are not paying this money for the same enter emotional experience they are from AAA and hardcore and indie games right like if, if I spent six hundred dollars in terms of like entertainment hour for dollars right 
people have plenty of options, right? They could have picked up Tomb Raider Trilogy for free on the Epic Game Store. That's a couple hundred hours of AAA gaming for free. Super high quality, great games. You could get Jedi Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order if you're a Prime subscriber right now for free from Amazon. Again, like a game of the year quality game. You can buy, uh, you know, Black Friday, I bought Deathloop for 30 bucks mm-hmm. from one of my favorite game studios and it's still shrink-wrapped. Like, when people are... People are not in search of the, of, re, of replacement for those entertainment hours and that emotional experience. They're looking for something different if they're getting into this ecosystem. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with getting close to the game development and getting close to the investing and wanting to be a part of the things that the people on this podcast are a part of professionally, right? Like, we are in industries that provide a lot of joy a lot of heartache too and, and headache, but a lot of joy too. And I think that, you know, crypto games offers an, an entry to the players, to these experiences. And that I think is part of the emotional pleasure they're getting from it. Another takeaway, Crypto Raiders team, super community focused. You know, it feels like one meaningful update a week at least. And they're on Discord all the time. And I think that community, 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 community is the key to a successful game. Like, really, you're fostering belief. The price of anything is just about belief. And this is a whole system about getting people excited and to believe in something and its future potential. Um, and then I said, um, the, you know, I wanted to share a list of, of feature improvements for the Crypto Raiders team that just sharing this will explain to any game developer without looking at a video how early this piece of game software is. So here here are my requests. I'm not getting into advanced free-to-play features like events with time pressure leaderboard rewards, guilds, multi-user raids, etc. Here's some basic quality of life stuff I want as a Crypto Raiders player. I want to be able to play the game once a day for free instead of once a week. That'll increase my retention. I want to know how much XP, how many XP points to get my character to the next level. I can't figure that out in the software right now. I want to know a preview of XP and potential gear drops before playing a dungeon so I can make a better informed dungeon experience. I wish there was a better gear UI that helped me compare the stats of one piece of gear against another and made it just easier to know should I equip this sword or not. I wish there was a way to recycle my gear. I have like 80 pieces of junk gear. I wish I could turn that into Orem and turn that into something better, right? Just basic recycling tactics we're all kind of used to. If I'm in the battle, I want more depth. I want more depth than just pressing the attack button. I'd like an auto button. Like I don't need to press the attack button 20 times. When battle's done, uh, or I want to see HP fly-offs. There's not HP fly-offs to know how much damage I do. I have to read a text log. And mm-hmm. additionally... The health bar for you and for the enemy don't show the health. So, like, I just, like, you're just kind of guessing, right? Like, if, if, if it was truly permadeath, I wouldn't play for that reason. It's a bit too <laughs> risky. Um, Rumor has it, uh, so, uh, there's a thread by, by a Twitter account named Crypto Stamina uh, that um, they're coming up with, um, with gear crafting and disenchanting. Yeah. So um so we should be we should be expecting that one. Awesome. Um what else? I want um when the battle's done, I want to see the gear that I earned and XP 
and a level up. I actually have to do that manually in a web page, and it's not very delightful. I want more detail on the battle formulas so I can make better stat choices. I don't think I made very good character spec choices. And I'd like, mul I'd like dungeons with multiple fights and where I can bring multiple heroes in. So all that, if you look at that list, that should help you inform. It's, it's almost like, um, I almost feel like I'm playing a student project that someone's like, here's my senior year, end of semester project. Can you give me mm -hmm. feedback? Like that's how early the game software is. And yet this is from all accounts, a successful um, business and it's a developing game. And I really look forward to coming back to the podcast in six months when my staking contracts are up and letting you know what kind of the result was. But um, just super interesting to have this experience firsthand. Well, coming back when your stake and contracts are done? Yeah, I, I committed um, my tokens for six months. Got it. So, they, so I've noticed that this is quite a typical thing where you have to, when, when you're purchasing tokens, you have to essentially keep them for X amount of time before you can resell them. And that, of course, stabilizes the economy, right? Well, it's, it's, it's not, it's uh, a lot of uh, products will offer staking which is you commit to not sell. Like if I just buy a token on SushiSwap, I can then go swap it for other stuff. There's no lockup. Mm -hmm. um, maybe when you do investments, there might be lockups. But a lot of tokens or NFTs will offer you staking, which will give you some form of reward for committing not to sell your asset, essentially, for some period of time. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Crypto.com has the same kind of a thing. Essentially, you're getting perks the longer you hold their own yep. coin exactly yeah damn a lot of a lot of learnings yeah but it still like puzzles me how rudimentary simple this game is as you said a student project uh that has of course uh, a serious back-end tech on the background and quite advanced community management mm -hmm. uh using all the channels and, and communicate are there a lot of players for this game um i mean uh, there's 2.8 uh, there's 2,800 unique players, right? That's how many people own the... That's how many possible people could be playing this game right now based on how 2, many... 2,800? I think that's how many owners there are. That's right? like a good student project. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I would love to release a game that had 3,000 players and multiple millions of dollars of revenue and, and trading volume. That would be, I, I mean, like the market cap for Raider is probably upwards, it's some number of tens of millions right now. Uh, so, Anton, are there like exits for these companies? Like, are, are the big guys or, or acquirers looking at this? Not, not even big guys. Like, there are plenty well, of companies who have raised massive secondaries. Not secondaries, there's, uh, been a, there's, been a smaller, there's been a smaller exit. I think it was in December. Uh, so, roughly, roughly, I think it was roughly a month ago. Mm -hmm. So there's um there's a game if we, if you guys have taken a look at Fractal, which is the new NFT marketplace by yeah. by Justin Khan, uh, the number one trending game here is uh, Panzer Dogs, which is this kind of a tank tank fighting game uh, running in the browser where you need a mm -hmm. tank or you need an NFT to be to able to play the game. Uh, I think the developer was called Lucky Cat. It's a it's a Dutch developer, and they were acquired last December, if I remember correctly. Well, this looks like a student project, too. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, the thing is, is like, if I were if I were at Crypto Raiders, I wouldn't be looking to exit right now. I'd be looking at how do I grow the community as big as possible. And just, like, I don't think that I think a lot of these projects, because of the dynamics of tokens and of offering tokens and, and being able to sell them to your players, like you could never have to fundraise again. Um, What's the, what, a, was the, what was sorry sorry Ethan what was the size of the exit on this game? So this was uh, I'm looking at the games industry news right now. Uh, Fragbyte was the buyer, uh, and um, the sale pl- sale price was uh, seven point eight million dollars, with uh, five point six million in cash, and then the remainder in Fragbyte shares. Okay. I think. I think the interesting question around acquisitions in this space will be when, when the treasury ownership is decentralized enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at, if, if someone would buy Axie, Axie Infinity, for example, where the game economy is obviously running on chain, you have a bunch of AXS holders, the company owns 20% of the AXS supply or some, some amount that has been agreed. And uh, if you buy that company, you still don't get control over or token control over the treasury. So so I think it's very much an open question still on how how these what does it mean? are going to look like. Kind of like how that somebody bought the the um, publishing rights to Taylor Swift songs, but she held, still held the songwriting rights and just recorded new versions of it and like yeah. totally screwed their hundred million dollar investment or however much they made in it. So, you oh, know, what what would it what would it mean to buy Axie but not to own the treasury, right? It's um, very interesting times. Okay. Anything else? Because I need to play Panzer Dogs. And anybody <laughs> who's listening to this, catch me at Panzer Dogs. Like this is Mishka. This is Mishka. The the new hotness for you the, for for the next episode. Uh-huh. You have heard, okay. You have got yourself Panzer Dog, and then. <laughs> we, we, okay, I will play Panzer Dogs. Uh, people listening to this, play Panzer Dogs with me. Things are going crazy. Uh, we need to get on this crazy train, or at least understand what is going on in the crazy train yeah. with these NFT tanks or whatnot. And there, there were some other shooters that I was apparently playing without even realizing that they were uh, blockchain games. Uh, what was that one, the, the uh, mini, Battle Royale game? Mini, mini, mini Nation Royale. Royale. I'm gonna... Mini Nation Royale. I played that one as well. It was all right. Like, I wasn't blown away, but it was all right. I played a couple of matches. Uh, definitely would play again. So when people are saying that all these blockchain games are trash, no, nah, not really. Like they're fun, but they're small. They're like small fun games. Yeah, but hey, if if we look at, I don't know if it's if if it's still, but it was number eight at least on concurrent players, uh, Mir Four, uh, on Steam, which is the Korean MMO, and they have, obviously, it's 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 obfuscated in the game. So you don't know that you're dealing with with crypto in the game, but um, they've been able to remain on Steam because um, they don't disclose it anywhere. All right. On that note, should we people Panzer Dog or for the next couple? Like, let's talk about Panzer Dog. Should we do new hotness? (laughs) New hotness. But tell me, about, tell me about new hotness because I'm all about the Panzer dog. But but yeah, okay. please do. Yeah. New hotness is the NFT you just found about on this podcast for Mishka. That's funny. Um, okay, so I have a brand new NFT since the since the last uh, episode. I acquired a legend map, a founder's legend map. Um, there's a project legend maps. It's very cool, procedurally generated 
ASCII art. They look like NetHack or an old school dungeon crawler. And I miss the minting, but it really appeals to me. And to my point about community, uh, one of the things they did uh, was they did a lore writing competition um, to look at their maps on OpenSea and write a piece of lore. And there were about 30 entries, and I wrote a, a, a winning entry, and they rewarded me with a Founder's Legend map that had like a f probably a $500 floor value. So I'm just going to start doing writing for other NFT games. But uh, yeah. I, can, I, I have a poem. You can read it on, on my blog <laughs> that I wrote about uh, King Killam's Keep. Um, but that's my new hotness. I, I won an NFT for being an active community member. <laughs> can you can you read it for the listeners? Or is Do you want to? Okay, this is going to be embarrassing. Hear, okay, this was my. I was one of three winners. This is uh, Killam's Blade. O cursed blade of wretched king, in my dream it calls. I thirst, I thirst to taste its edge. My soul is in its thralls. For Killam's coin and Killam's gems, they have no hold on I. I sing, I sing its blood-drenched song, though those who wield it die. Poor Killam's page who hid the blade, his blood is on my hands. He did his duty, sealed his fate for following commands. And so I set out for the keep with arcane tools in tow. And any fool who bars my path will meet their end below. Bravo. <laughs> There's the lore. In my I, free I time. Like to, I would like to end it on that note because it was so beautiful. <laughs> but Anton, tell us what, what's the new hotness you've you been on. Quickly. So I got myself a new Crypto Raider. To do a bit more dungeons named named it after my first ever world of warcraft character mm -hmm. montague nice. I'll, I'll have to find you in duel i haven't dueled in crypto raiders yet <laughs> sounds good in crypto okay. and montague will fight it out to to everybody listening thank you for for listening throughout uh send us feedback and ethan don't answer the feedback on the slack channel on the linkedin okay. like answer this on here just just take it and, and answer it later because okay. ethan has been like off the cuff like providing immediate answers i'm stealing and, uh, content from future episodes sorry content from future episodes and we'll try to summarize this closer to one, one hour we're kind of running at 90 minutes but we're we're reining it in we just have a lot of things to to say and um keep sending the feedback and if you want to you want to sponsor your little blockchain game or maybe your your layer one or layer two holla at us so info at deconstructorofun.com uh we take all comers in blockchain so <laughs> just kidding um anyway in tokens yeah in, in tokens like exactly these boys take tokens um thank you so much for for listening and catch us in a couple weeks bye bye everybody Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.